Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. There is a phrase used today uh, that you have probably heard. Really, it's a question used at the end of conflict resolution usually. It's the question, you know, are we good? Right? Perhaps you've been in conflict with somebody else. You've worked through it. You've talked through it. And at the end, you conclude by asking the question, So are we good? Everything okay here? And what you're asking is, is our relationship back on track? Is our relationship mended? You want to know if you are good with that other person. The question today is, are you good with God? Is your relationship with God right? Is it mended? Is it in the place that it ought to be? Often, I think we rely on the wrong things to expect our relationship with God to be right, both for salvation and for growth in Christ. Paul, in chapter 4 of Romans, begins to discuss how we can become good with God. Now, we haven't looked at Romans for a few months now. We took a break, but now we're back. And you might recall that chapters one through three really paint a terrible picture. They talk about the fact that we are totally depraved. There is nothing good in us. We cannot be good with God. We're told in Romans three, there is none righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Everyone's unprofitable. No one does good. Not even one person. We're told that we are wicked people deserving of God's wrath. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But now Paul begins in chapter 4 to instruct us in how we can move from being awful to being good with God. Now, we are not going to make it through the whole chapter today, but we're going to treat it as one unit because that's what it is. And so over the next two, maybe three weeks, we will work through this phenomenal chapter. And what I want us to walk away with is simply this phrase. You are good with God only through faith. You are good with God only through faith. Let's look at Romans chapter four, and then we'll begin to work through it. Paul says this. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our father, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as the seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, 
so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, who was delivered up for our transgressions and was raised for our justification. Throughout this text, we have this repeated word, righteousness. The righteousness would be applied to us and the righteousness of Abraham. And this, this word righteousness is the idea of justice or fairness or being made right. Being good with God. And Paul in this text asks and answers the question, how can you be righteous? How can you be good with God, Because you need to be good with God. One day, every one of us will stand before God and will give an account for our lives. Will you stand before God in a good place or in a bad place? The challenges of life and the reality of death demand that you be good with God. And in this text, we discover that the only way to be good with God is through faith. And so as we work through this text, we will discover three faulty means or three faulty ways by which we attempt to be good with God. Things that we expect will make us good with God, but don't. And finally, we'll discover what faith is that makes us good with God. And we'll conclude You are good with God only by faith. Paul begins this chapter by reminding us that righteousness is by faith, not by works. Righteousness is by faith, not by works. He says, what shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our father, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. 
Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. We often rely on works. We do good things and we expect that God will bless us for it, that that we will be good with God because of it. We go to church. You're here this morning. You sit, you listen, you try to do what's right. You consider the fact that you are a church person means you're good with God. Obviously, I'm here. You help a neighbor. People in the community that need help and you, you sacrifice for them. You give of your time and your energy and your ability and your funds. And you expect that because you are a good person, you're good with God. You work hard in your job. You care for your family. You do the right things. And you expect that that means you're good with God. In fact... If we asked you the question, how do you know that you have a good relationship with God? Even those who have trusted in Christ for salvation by faith, I think often would answer with things that we do. Because we expect that these things we do are what makes us good with God. But here in this text, we enter into the life of Abraham. And we see how God makes us good, not by works, but by faith. The question's asked, what did Abraham gain according to the flesh? This is an important question, especially to the Jews that would be reading this text. They looked at Abraham as this person who had worked out and lived out his faith and, and had, had made himself righteous through the obedience that he had. And Paul asked, what? What did he gain by the things that he did? What did Abraham gain according to the flesh? Well, the answer is nothing. He gained nothing. He says, if Abraham is justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Implied here is the idea that Abraham was not justified. He was not good with God because he left his homeland and traveled to the promised land because he did all the God stuff. That's not what made him good with God. Because if that was the case, he would have something to boast about. You see, we're not good with God because of works, because if we could earn our way, if we could make ourselves good, then we would ruin it. Through our arrogance, we would have something to boast about. We think of Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works. And then he gives us the purpose so that no one will boast. The reality is you cannot earn your place with God. We try. We do stuff and we assume that because we do these things, we're good. But what we see in scripture is that the works we do do not make us good. We do the works because God has made us good through faith. See, righteousness is not by works, but by faith. It's not a wage. It's a gift. 
He says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. We learn from Abraham that righteousness does not come as a payment for our works. It says Abraham believed God and that belief was considered counted to him as righteousness. What exactly is he talking about here? Well, here Paul is actually quoting from Genesis 15. Here in Genesis 15, we see the promise of God to Abraham in verse four. <coughs> Excuse me. The writer says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Back in Genesis 12, God had called Abraham out of this pagan land, the land of Ur. Abraham is old. But he calls him out and tells Abraham, I am going to make from you great nations. You will be great and I'm going to give you a land. And Abraham believed God. And he left Ur and he went to the promised land. And he had no children, no offspring. Years pass and nothing happens. And God comes again and says, renews this promise. I will make of you a great nation. And Abraham says, God, to make of me a nation, I've got to have a child. Right now, my servant Eleazar is my heir. He's the one. And God says, no, he's not the one. This man shall not be your heir your very own son will be your heir. But there was a problem. Abraham was old. And not a little old. A lot old. Well past childbearing years. Nor was it as if old Abraham had married young Sarah. No. She was old too. And old people... Don't have kids. Slight problem. And God takes Abraham, says, come outside your tent. And he points to the night sky. And you can picture what he's seeing there in the sky as you go out of your own home at night and you look up and you see the vastness of the universe, the countless stars. And God points to the stars and says, Abraham, see all those stars? Count them. That's going to be the number of your offspring. Now, the point wasn't that Abraham would spend hours out there counting the stars. His point was, they'll be innumerable. You will have a vast nation result from you because you will have a son. And here is where he was made righteous. It says, Abraham believed. Okay, God. That's what you say is going to happen. I believe it. 
and righteousness was granted to Abraham, not as a wage. He says that word, it is counted, verse uh, four. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. If you work for it, you expect it. It's due you. It's not just given. It's not a gift to you. When you work in your job and the pay time comes and your boss says, I have been very generous to you. Here is your paycheck. If he says that, you expect that there'll be more to the paycheck than what you earned. If you grab the check and it's exactly what you earned, you would say, wow, you were very generous. You gave me what I earned. This is not a gift. It's a due. But the reality is salvation, being good with God, is not a gift. It is due. It is, it is, it's not a due, it's something that's due. It is a gift. It's not something you earn. It's something that God gives you. This is the history of salvation. As we work through scripture, we're reminded at the very beginning, man messed it up. Genesis 3. But God said, I'm going to make it right. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Cain and Abel, the very next chapter. It's not a story or a narrative about how siblings can't get along. It's a narrative about how righteousness is by faith, not by works. You see, Abel brought a sacrifice, not something he had worked for and earned. He brought something that God created in this lamb and sacrificed. Cain, on the other hand, brought the fruits of his own labor. And God said, I don't accept fruits of your labor. I accept faith. And so he accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. And now we have Abraham. Not righteous because he made himself righteous, but righteous because he believed. Now, as the Jews would read this, they would enter into a problem, the same problem that we have without recognizing it. We struggle with the concept of righteousness by faith because it is unjust. To justify the ungodly, to count as righteous the wicked, is abhorrent. It goes against the very law of God. Exodus 23, verse 7. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And yet, we discover that Abraham, the father of the people of God, did not become good with God because he did great things. He became good with God because he had faith in God. In Genesis 15, 6, Abraham's faith is his complete trust in God that he would have a natural descendant. It was not something he earned, not as wages, but as a gift. See, God cannot grant righteousness as a payment for works because that goes against the very nature of God. Because work, if you do a work that your employer is obligated to pay you for your work. It's an obligation. You have earned it. If you earn, if you work for your salvation, then God is obligated to give it to you. But God is obligated to no one because he's God. So it cannot be of works. It must be a gift freely bestowed, not a wage. 
Why? Because in all of it, it reveals God's blessing. The fact that righteousness is by faith, not by works, reveals God's blessing. And to demonstrate this reality, we turn to the words of David. Verse 5. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Here Paul directs us to Psalm 32, where David writes, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and who in whose spirit there is no deceit. And we look at these two people, Abraham and David, intentionally. The Jews viewed Abraham as the center and example of living for righteousness. He left his hometown. He left his family. He turned his back on everything to go to a promised land that he didn't know where it was. And he trusted God. He left the land of Ur with its idolatry and its wickedness. And he served God with his life. Therefore, he was good with God because he obeyed. And and Paul starts at the same point, but he reaches a completely different conclusion. When it says his argument is that the believing and being justified were already effective prior to and apart from such works. And it is that fact rather than the subsequent works done by Abraham that show that righteousness is by faith. On the other hand, David was most noted for his sin. His sin with Bathsheba, his murder of Uriah. His covering of all of it. Yet both are good with God. So it can't be because of works. Because David didn't just kind of mess up. He really messed up. And yet he's called a man after God's own heart. Abraham made righteous apart from his works. See, it can't be that we're good with God because of works, it must be because of something entirely different. And Paul reveals it's because of faith alone. So what are you relying on to be good with God? What is it when you stand before God that God will say, come on in, well done? What are you relying on? Some of you are relying on church. You're spiritual. You go to church. You do your God stuff each weekend. Therefore, you're good. Some of you are relying on your care for the less fortunate. You are very generous and you help everybody you possibly can. And you give of your time and your energy and your finances to serve other people. And you expect that that makes you good with God. Some of you are relying on your service in the community, in the schools and foundations And you think that this is making you good with God. And these things cannot justify you and they cannot sanctify you. Righteousness does not come by works. You're not good with God because of that. You are only good with God 
through faith. But that's good news. Because it means that all that it's all of God and not of you. So it means that when you fail, it doesn't have to define you. It means you you don't have to work yourself to the bone so that you're good with God. It means that when you mess up, you can still be good. Because righteousness is by faith, not by works. We discover the second thing in verse 9. We discover that righteousness is by faith, not by status. There's a slight shift in the passage. Up to this point, Paul has been talking about works. The word works appears over and over and over. But now he shifts a little bit. And it seems a little bit odd right at the outset. But what he's trying to tell us is that righteousness is by faith, not by status. Some think that because of their status, they're good with God. I mean, how could God not be good with you? Doesn't he know who you are? He knows your family and your upbringing and your place in the community. Some believers see themselves as the head of the church. They're the ones who who keep everyone else in line. They're the ones who make the decisions. They're the ones who instruct everyone else. They rely on that status to mean that they're good with God. Others rely on their status as wealthy influencers to be good with God. They assume that because they've been successful in the world and in their businesses, that that's a sign that they're good with God. Some view their status as church members as signs that they're good with God. They're, they're pillars of the church. They're pillars of the community. Therefore, they're good with God. Some just think it's because of their family, their last name. Therefore, I'm good with God. However, we see in this next section that righteousness is by faith, not by status. Look with me at verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcision? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was not after. But before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. And you see the repeated word through there, and it's, it's something that we usually don't talk about. Circumcised. What's he talking about? He's talking about the sign of who they were. Abraham received a covenant from God. God promised Abraham, I will make you the father of nations. I will bless the world through you. I will give you a land and a future. And as a sign of this, God had Abraham and all his offspring Received the sign of circumcision. It was a sign that they were God's people. Well, over the years, the Jews came to associate that with this idea. I am born a Jew. Therefore, I am God's people and I'm good. It doesn't matter what I do. 
just by the fact that I won the genetic lottery of being born a Jew, I'm good with God. Here's the problem. We do the same thing today. Sometimes we think that because we are born in this country, we're good with God. After all, American, Christian, same thing, we're good. Some assume that because they were born into the church and they went nine months before they were born and their parents were pillars in the church and now you're a pillar in the church, you're good with God because you have status. This is what the Jews believed. We are God's people. Everyone else, not God's people. We see this throughout the prophets. It's the message over and over in the prophets. It's the message in Habakkuk. It's the message in Jonah. It's the message in Amos. It's the message in Hosea that God is calling out from a people that are not his people to be his people. And that is abhorrent to the Jews. We're God's people. We have the sign of God's covenants. We've got the status. But they miss the message that being good with God is not a result of who you are or how you were born or where you were born or when you were born. It is only by faith. Reference back to Genesis 17. And in Genesis 17, God makes that covenant with Abraham and seals the covenant with a sign. But we need to note, Genesis 17 comes after Genesis 15. And what did we read in Genesis 15? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness was placed on Abraham's account before The sign of God's blessing. The sign was a result, not the cause. The Jews relied on the fact that they were Jews to mean that they were good with God. They counted the sign of the covenant. They had the sign of the covenant, so they must be good. After all, that's what made Abraham righteous, right? Wrong. This idea that they were righteous because they were Jews continued to get them in trouble. We think about 1 Samuel 5. The Jews and the Philistines are fighting again. It's not going well. The Philistines are beating the Jews over and over and over. And they think, we know why this is. We're God's people, but we haven't demonstrated that we're God's people. Get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it out here so we can win. Because we're God's people. And if God's here with us, he won't let not God's people beat God's people. So they bring the Ark of the Covenant out. And... Israel cheers and shouts with excitement because God is with them again. The Philistines are nervous. Something's changed. They go to battle. And the Philistines win. In fact, they take captive the Ark of the Covenant. Because Israel was not God's people simply because they were born that way. It got them in trouble. We see as well, we think of 2 Kings 25. The Jews believed that they would remain free from Babylon because they were God's people. For years, they had paid tribute to Babylon to keep them off their backs until finally they'd had enough. They said, why are we as God's people paying money to not God's people to stay free? We're God's people. We've got the temple. God won't allow us to be overthrown. 
So they stop paying the tribute. And Nebuchadnezzar arrives and burns Jerusalem to the ground because they missed the idea that they had not stepped in faith to God. They were relying on their heritage, not their faith. And so God destroyed them. In AD 70, the Jews rebelled against Rome. And Rome responded. The Jews retreated to Jerusalem. And Josephus informs us that they refused to surrender because they believed that they were good with God. They were God's people. They had God's temple. God would not allow Rome to overthrow them. But they weren't good with God. And so Rome burned Jerusalem and the temple to the ground and it has never been rebuilt. Often we think that because we are who we are, that we're good with God. We're wealthy. We're influential. We're church people. We hold positions. Uh, we're Americans or we're conservative or we're not conservative. We're libertarian. Therefore, we are good with God. Don't you know who I am? Yes. Romans 3. There is none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understand. There's none that seek after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good. Not even one. God is not impressed with who you are. God is not impressed with your worldly success, with your business acumen, with your church acts. You are not made righteous by your status. You're made righteous by faith. In fact, our world gets rocked even deeper. Not only are we not special because of our status, anyone can become good with God. The Jews were not the only people of God. And this rocked them to their core. You are not the only people of God. God calls out people from every status to come into his family. The middle of verse 11, he says, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, excuse me, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. You see, your faith is more important than your status. Your faith is more important than going through the, the religious rituals and the doing of the God stuff. It's your heart that is the most important aspect. How often? Do we look at people who are different than us and think, yeah, they can't be good with God. But after all, look at the way they dress. Look at the way they talk. Look at the things they're not doing. And I'm in church every time the doors are open. They're here occasionally. I'm good with God. They must not be. Look at the things they listen to. Look at the Mr. T starter kit around their neck. 
they must not be good with God. We do this all the time. How often do we look at people and think that because we're cleaner or more advanced or more educated or more wealthy or more involved that we are better? How often do we believe that because we've been deacons or held positions in the church that we are better or closer to God than other people? See, it reveals our hearts that we are relying on ourselves to be good with God. And not recognizing that it is only one thing that makes us good with God. Righteousness is by faith. Here's the good news of this text. You're not good with God because you earn it. You're not good with God because you were born into it. It also means that you don't have to earn it or be born into it. Salvation, being good with God, comes only through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. When you recognize that you have nothing good in yourself, even the best things you can offer fall way short of God's perfection. But God in His love, before the earth was founded, determined that He would become His creation, be murdered by His creation, and conquer death, so that He could take your sin and the punishment of your sin on Himself. And when you reach out in faith to God, and we'll see next week or the week after, that faith, reaching out to God, is believing His promises, giving Him your life entirely. When you do that, when you say, God... I can't save myself. Only you can save me. I want to be good with you. I trust the work of your son. Use me. You're good with God. You don't have to make yourself right to come to God. God makes you right. You don't have to earn some status or some level before you can come to God. God makes you his child. And so, as you look at your own life, even if you have accepted him in that first step of faith, understand sanctification works the same way. Growing in your walk with God works the same way. You are not important in and of yourself. Only through the death of Christ have you been made anything. And so growing in your walk with God, relying on him, means that you rely completely on him and you allow his word to instruct you and you respond with grace and patience and humility and love to one another as Christ would. Because righteousness is not by works. It's not by status. It's only by faith. Let me conclude here today with two so what's for you. What should you do as a result of this? One, evaluate yourself honestly and ask what you are relying on to be good with God. Evaluate yourself honestly and ask what you are relying on to be good with God. Relying on works? Relying on the fact that you do God's stuff or you're a good person or maybe you're just not that bad? Are you wholly dependent on Christ alone? Number two, submit wholly and completely to Christ.
give him everything. Submit wholly and completely to Christ. Give him everything. And the amazing fact is this. Simply by doing nothing, by surrendering it all to God, you get everything. You're made righteous. You're good with God. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity that you have given us to look at your word. We thank you for this wonderful promise that through faith in you, you give us everything that pertains to life and godliness. That through faith in you, you make us children of God. You place us into your kingdom. You grant us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. All these things we could never earn, that we, we don't deserve. You freely empty on us simply by faith. Lord, our natural tendency is to try and earn it. Our natural tendency is to look down on others who are not as far along as we think we are. Lord, help us to be filled with humility and grace, to spur one another to love and good works, not as a means of being good with you, but because you have made us good. Thank you for that incredible gift. But I can't help but believe that in this group, there are men and women who have not yet placed their faith and trust in you alone. Lord, I ask that your spirit work in their hearts today and draw them to yourself, that they might come to you in faith. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.